Welcome. You're listening to Blood Advances Talks. Blood Advances Talks are scholarly review articles that are presented in an audio format and published in the American Society of Hematology's open access journal, Blood Advances. Transcripts for Blood Advances Talks undergo the same rigorous peer review process as all articles published in Blood Advances and can be downloaded by visiting bloodadvances.org. We thank you for listening. My name is Lucy Godley from the section of Hematology Oncology at the University of Chicago. The title of my talk is Inherited Predisposition to Myeloid Malignancies. I receive royalties from an article I co-authored on this topic for UpToDate, and I also serve as a scientific advisor for InVitae. Abstract. Germline predisposition to myeloid malignancies is increasingly recognized, and numerous susceptibility syndromes are now well described. Both inherited and de novo germline mutations can be seen, and mutations range from point mutations to deletions and other structural chromosomal rearrangements. Because easily obtained tissues like saliva, blood, and bone marrow are all potentially affected by the disease, care must be given to testing true germline tissue. Thus, comprehensive testing is complicated, both by the necessity of covering all mutation types, as well as doing so using DNA derived from germline material. Identification of germline mutations has important implications for the treatment of the index patient, as well as for family members who may share an inherited variant. Efforts by the American Society of Hematology and ClinGen to provide standardized functional annotation of variants will hopefully provide consistency in variant interpretation. As the recognition of these syndromes increases and the cost of DNA sequencing falls, additional predisposition syndromes are likely to be identified. Introduction to Myeloid Malignancy Germline Predisposition Syndromes Germline mutations in many genes are now recognized as drivers of myeloid malignancies. A common assumption is that such DNA changes cause disease in individuals at a particularly young age, and this is true for germline mutations in GATA2, SAMD9, and SAMD9L, which cause myelodysplastic syndrome, or I'll abbreviate as MDS, in pediatric patients and young adults. Importantly, though, presenting with a myeloid malignancy at an age typical for that disease, at age 72 years old for MDS, for example, does not preclude having a germline mutation and would be typical for germline DDX41 mutations. One should not use age as a criterion for consideration of a germline predisposition syndrome. These susceptibility syndromes should be considered in all patients diagnosed with myeloid malignancies. Most of the germline predisposition mutations are autosomal dominant and as such can be inherited from one parent. Occasionally, however, they can appear de novo in an individual. This is especially true for germline GATA2, SAMD9, and SAMD9L mutations. In the case of de novo mutations, the affected person can pass along the gene mutation to his or her offspring, but other first-degree relatives like siblings or parents are typically not at risk of also carrying the mutation. The latest World Health Organization classification of leukemia includes a provisional category for germline predisposition to myeloid malignancies. The syndromes have been grouped according to their phenotypes, those that confer risk to myeloid malignancies only, those associated with platelet abnormalities, 
and those associated with other organ dysfunction. I will briefly explain some unique features of each of these syndromes. Within the myeloid malignancy-only category are germline mutations in CEBP-alpha and DDX41, along with 14Q32.2 genomic duplications involving the genes ATG2B, GSKIP, and RBBP6 mutations, both of which are associated with familial myeloproliferative neoplasms. Many centers now test for CEBP-alpha mutations at the presentation of acute myeloid leukemia, which I will abbreviate AML, since two mutations of CEBP-alpha are considered prognostic of a relatively favorable and chemosensitive leukemia. Typically, there is one mutation at the five prime end of CEBP-alpha and another mutation at the three prime end of the other allele. It is important to remember that about 10% of leukemias with two CEBP-alpha mutations have one of those mutations inherited as a germline mutation, typically the 5 prime N mutation. For this reason, I recommend testing all AML patients with biallelic CEBP-alpha mutations for the germline status of the identified mutations. In AML cases derived from a 5 prime N germline CEBP-alpha mutation, the somatic acquired 3 prime N mutation represents a molecular marker of the leukemia. Jude Fitzgibbon and his group examined the relapses, quote-unquote, in germline CEBP-alpha mutation mutated patients and showed that the 3 prime N mutations are unique, suggesting that they are not in fact relapses, but rather are second or third primary leukemias. Because these leukemias are relatively sensitive to chemotherapy, it remains controversial when to perform an allogeneic stem cell transplant for these patients at first remission or at the time of diagnosis of a second primary leukemia. Germline DDX41 mutations are unique because, as described before, they present with myeloid malignancies at ages typical for myeloid malignancies, on average in the early 60s. For this reason, it is important to always consider germline predisposition mutations, not only when seeing a relatively young patient. Two founder mutations have been identified, the D140 frameshift within the Caucasian population and the A500 frameshift within the Japanese population. Importantly, to date, every truncating DDX41 mutation has been a germline variant. These mutations have never been seen as somatic acquired mutations in leukemia. In the leukemias themselves, a common hotspot mutation occurs in the other DDX41 allele, R525H. Therefore, if molecular profiling detects two DDX41 mutations, one a truncating mutation and the other the R525H mutation, the truncating mutation is almost certainly germline. Interestingly, male DDX41 mutation carriers appear to have a higher risk of developing myeloid malignancies than female mutation carriers. That is to say, the penetrance of myeloid malignancy development is higher in males than in females. The mechanism underlying this observation is not known. Although germline DDX41 mutations often present in older adults, four independent pedigrees to date are known to have pediatric cases of leukemia. And although the WHO classification places germline DDX41 mutations within those that confer risk only for myeloid malignancies, several solid tumors have been seen recurrently in these families, including colon, bladder, gastric, and breast cancers. 
Germline mutations in three genes confer lifelong abnormalities in platelet number and function, as well as a risk for development of myeloid malignancies. Genes RUNX1, ANCOD26, and ETB6. Inherited mutations in RUNX1 and ETB6 also confer risk for the development of lymphoid malignancies. For RUNX1, typically T-cell ALL, and for ETB6, mostly B-cell ALL. To date, germline mutations in ANCOR-D26 have only been associated with myeloid malignancy risk. Generally, the thrombocytopenia that is seen in these individuals can be fairly mild and variable within families with RUNX1 or ETV6 mutations. However, platelet counts are commonly more severely depressed in those with germline ANCOR-D26 mutations, often with a platelet count of less than 80,000 per microliter. Because of the qualitative platelet defects, patients can bleed out of proportion to their platelet counts, and for this reason, transfusion of normal platelets is recommended for elective surgery or childbirth. A detailed description of all of the syndromes associated with defects in other organs is out of the scope of this blood advances talk, and listeners are referred to recent reviews for description of germline data 2 deficiency syndrome, SAMD9 mutation and Mirage syndrome, SAMD9L mutation and ataxia pancytopenia syndrome, MECOM EVI1 mutations, familial aplastic anemia, MDS due to SRP72 mutation, Schwachmann-Diamond syndrome, including the newly identified causative genes EFL1 and DNAJC21, telomere syndromes, including TERT and TURK, and bone marrow failure syndrome genes. A few key items to remember. Germline GATA2 mutations are associated with immune deficiency and infection with non-tuberculous mycobacterial species and or fungi. Lymphedema can also be seen, and most SAMD9 mutations are de novo. Identification of patients with likely germline mutations through molecular profiling in the bone marrow. Patients with myeloid malignancies undergo bone marrow biopsies to assess their disease status at multiple points in their treatment, at presentation, during therapy, at remission, and at relapse. Increasingly, molecular profiling studies are used to determine molecular remissions. These mutational panels often report on variants in genes that are mutated either somatically or within the germline. Some examples of these include TP53, RUNX1, DDX41, CEBP-alpha, and GATA2. Therefore, when a variant is reported in one of these genes, one cannot immediately determine if the variant is only present in the malignancy, a so-called somatic mutation, or whether the variant is present as a germline mutation. Several clues can indicate individuals at risk for having a germline mutation, a variant allele frequency over 40%, and or persistence of that variant with subsequent molecular profiling, especially if the sample is done at the time of disease remission. I use the term invariant variants to describe those DNA variants that persist across multiple time points, regardless of the disease state of the patient. The presence of these invariant variants is an especially useful way of identifying the variants that are likely to be germline. It is important to remember, though, that most of these panels are performed with next-generation sequencing, which is typically unable to detect germline deletion mutations that could be causative for familial predisposition. And many of these panels do not contain all of the genes that confer germline risk and therefore are not comprehensive assessments. Testing for germline predisposition syndromes. 
Many different types of mutations can be seen as causative alleles, including point mutations, deletions, and other structural chromosomal rearrangements. And testing should be comprehensive and capable of detecting all of these different types of mutations in all of the genes known to confer germline risk to myeloid malignancies. There is significant effort currently by the American Society of Hematology and ClinGen to provide standardized functional annotation of variants, which hopefully will provide consistency in variant interpretation across laboratories. Variants are classified according to the American College of Medical Genetics as pathogenic, likely pathogenic, variant of undetermined significance, likely benign, and benign. Cascade testing of relatives is typically only performed for variants classified as pathogenic or likely pathogenic. Because easily obtained tissues like saliva, blood, and bone marrow are all potentially affected by the patient's underlying disease, germline mutation testing is best performed on DNA derived from cultured skin fibroblasts. We prefer to perform skin biopsies at the time of a patient's bone marrow biopsy since the patient is already prepped and anesthetized with direct access to the skin at the time of the procedure. Clinical laboratories with expertise in growing skin fibroblasts are often those that process amniocentesis samples, and several academic and commercial laboratories can grow skin fibroblasts prior to germline genetic testing. Clinicians need to contact these laboratories in advance of performing the skin biopsies to ensure that they place the skin sample into the correct culture media prior to shipping. It is important to recognize that culturing of skin fibroblasts can take four to six weeks and germline genetic testing just as long, meaning that the turnaround time from the time of skin biopsy to results can be three months. This length of time can be prohibitive for some patients, especially those being considered for a related donor allogeneic stem cell transplant. In these circumstances, we occasionally perform germline testing directly on peripheral blood when clinical care requires a more rapid turnaround time with follow-up by cultured skin fibroblasts to confirm germline status. This approach is especially helpful when evaluating potential related donors, since the most important immediate clinical question is whether the donor shares any familial mutation that might preclude use as a stem cell donor. As an alternative to skin fibroblast culture, hair bulbs can also be used as a germline DNA source. However, less DNA is obtained from hair bulbs, which may preclude the ability to perform comprehensive germline genetic testing. For this reason also, I prefer to use cultured skin fibroblasts. Implications of a germline susceptibility mutation for patient management. Identifying a deleterious germline mutation has important implications for patient management. Importantly, treating the patient with chemotherapy does not remove the underlying germline risk. Therefore, patients remain at risk for myeloid malignancies as well as potential pathology in other affected organs. As noted already, patients with germline CEBP-alpha mutations have been shown to be at risk for development of second and even third primary leukemias. For this reason, many advocate the use of allogeneic stem cell transplantation in first remission using a donor who lacks the inherited mutation. The choice of allogeneic stem cell donor is critical, however, given the universal preference for related donors. 
For relatives of a patient with a germline mutation, testing for the familial mutation is often considered for donor selection. However, this presents difficult ethical considerations regarding family and patient confidentiality. Moreover, for many syndromes, the risks to the donor of stem cell mobilization and to the patient of receiving mutated stem cells are unclear. For germline RUNX1 and CEBP-alpha mutations, use of a relative with the familial mutation is ill-advised, given numerous reports of poor mobilization, engraftment, and immune reconstitution after transplantation. For these reasons, the use of unrelated donors may be advisable if a related donor who lacks the inherited mutation is not available. Implications of a germline susceptibility mutation for a patient's relatives. Once a germline predisposition mutation is identified in a patient with a myeloid malignancy, it can be very helpful for the healthcare team to write a family letter that explains the findings in lay terms. This correspondence can be used to disseminate information throughout the family, allowing relatives to obtain genetic counseling and testing locally. Cascade testing throughout the family can identify other at-risk individuals who may benefit from targeted surveillance, depending on the organs affected in the particular syndrome. Baseline bone marrow biopsies and serial peripheral blood cell counts can be helpful to assess bone marrow health, and more frequent endoscopies can address risk to organs like the colon or stomach. Final thoughts. With the decreasing cost of DNA sequencing and increasing recognition of the importance of germline predisposition mutations in driving the development of myeloid malignancies, the coming years are likely to bring the identification of more syndromes. Research into understanding the mechanisms by which individuals with germline mutations eventually develop malignancies is ongoing and will hopefully reveal strategies for delaying or even preventing cancer development. Acknowledgements. I would like to thank my colleagues within the University of Chicago Hematopoietic Malignancies Cancer Risk Program for development of our germline testing program and standard practices. I would also like to thank the many patients and family members who have shared with us their personal and family histories that inspire our work and provide daily motivation to do more. You've been listening to Blood Advances Talks. Please visit bloodadvances.org for more audio reviews and for information on how to subscribe to the Blood Advances Talks podcast. A full transcript of this podcast can be found online. Music for Blood Advances Talks was performed by the Art Topolo Trio and provided by Dr. Art Topolo. This presentation is copyrighted by the American Society of Hematology. We thank you for listening.